Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. All right, right. good morning, everybody. Hope you guys are ready to dive into God's Word. That's why we're here. Worship Him and get in His Word. So um, we are have been going through the Gospel of Mark here at City Life. Um, really, this whole kind of season, we're really up in our game here of getting into the Word. And so uh, you see our little sign over here to grow in the Word. On Sundays, we're in the book of Mark. and our life groups, we're in the book of Colossians altogether. And then a suggested for devotional, like kind of a daily devotional, dive into Psalms. Book one is fantastic if you aren't doing a devotional uh, every day. Uh, there's power in getting in the Word more than four days a week. They did studies, and people that kind of get in the Word one day a week, a.k.a. Sunday morning, uh, it does very little in the day-to-day life of tra- in transformation. Wow, I'm popping. Here we go. Um, so yeah, dive in the Word. Amen. <laughs> well, we are uh, in this Gospel of Mark. Just to give like a little recap, um, the history of Mark. Uh, this, Mark was a scribe he, who traveled alongside the Apostle Peter. Uh, the Apostle Peter was one of the primary apostles, and uh, Mark travels around with him. He also travels around a little bit with Paul, even though there was a little misunderstanding. Well, not misunderstanding. Uh, Mark kind of failed a little bit, and Paul didn't want him. Uh, along a certain portion of his trip. And so Mark goes back, hangs more with Peter. Anyway, we have this gospel of Mark. And Mark starts off this uh, whole letter with a big opener. In Mark 1, he says, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He opens with a massive claim about this man, Jesus, being the Messiah. Actually, not just a man, but the embodiment of God himself. He's a, it's a declaration that Jesus Himself was God, equal to God, fully man, fully God, described in over 300 uh, prophecies that he fulfilled in his lifetime. There's many more than that, but that's more about his second coming. Um, But this prophecy-fulfilling God-man is the centerpiece of Mark's gospel. And the rest of the letter is to support this one claim, that he is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. Of God, And so as we saw early on that Jesus is the one that was prophesied as one who is going to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. There was this yearning from the Jewish people that one day God would send a Messiah and that he would restore the things that were lost in the garden and that he would come and restore all things and that in that process that he would take people's stony, stubborn heart and turn it into a heart of flesh guided by his Spirit. And so here is this Jesus coming on the scene, baptizing people in the Spirit. He saw that Jesus, we saw that Jesus has authority over these fallen angels and rebellious demons. He brings liberation to those in bondage. He's not bringing a set of religious duty. He's bringing abundant life, healing, and freedom to mankind. I'm going to trade out Mike, thanks. If it wasn't already. All right. So, uh, is God, could God be really restoring what was lost? 
There's a little hint that maybe indeed Jesus is truly the Messiah. Jesus comes to have more authority than that of the religious elites that were around Jesus, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Not only were they teaching things counter to the Word of God, they were elevating the tradition of men over that of God. And so Jesus kind of corrects them, not just corrects them, but he corrects them continually throughout this whole gospel. And while he's doing this along the way, Jesus seems to be calling people to himself. And again, not calling people to uh, religious duty. He's not amassing a military force. He's not just a philosopher that's looking for a crowd to hear his brand new teaching. He's asking people to come be with him. Would you just be with me? Follow me. Drop everything you've got and follow me. And we see that this crowd of people, these disciples, follow Jesus every day. We saw that Jesus even shares his authority with his disciples. That's kind of unusual, sharing that authority, actually just not just sharing, but he's sharing it, he's entrusting into broken men and women to carry God's permanent message to the rest of mankind. You think that if, on, if it was on our watch that we would kind of want to find the perfect person to carry the message, right? We need the kind of the, the, the good-looking person, guy or gal, dressed real nice, can speak eloquently, that can, we can kind of train and send out. But Jesus doesn't roll like that. God does not function like the ways of the world This comes with this message of repent and believe the good news. Well, what's the good news? It happens to be the climax of Mark's letter that we saw last time, that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, the Son of God. God in His grace has opened the disciples' eyes to see Jesus for who He truly was. He's the Messiah sent to restore God's rule and reign on the earth and to redeem mankind from the pit. And then lastly, we ended last week's message, we saw this, not just this declaration of Jesus being the Messiah from his disciples, but we saw that right after that, Jesus take his three primary disciples, Peter, James, and John, and he goes up and he ascends this mountain. And in the text, it's just that he ascended a mountain, but it's this very specific mountain. It's Mount Hermon. And it was rumored that in Genesis uh, six, this is where the fallen angels came and descended upon planet Earth, and, and uh, that's a whole other story. But um, Jesus was challenging the powers of darkness. God's secret plan to send Jesus to pay the sentence for humanity's sin would be a full frontal assault on the gates of hell. The accuser and his forces would not be able to stand against the kingdom of God. In his transfiguration, his revealing of who he really is. He's putting Satan and all the powers of darkness on notice. I've come to earth to take back what's mine. The kingdom of God is at hand. And in effect, he's saying, I'm here. The Messiah is actually here. Now come and do something about it. So that's where we landed up to Mark. There's your little recap. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for your word. Open up more, disclose more of who you are, God. We're broken people, 
in need of not only a redeemer, but a guide and a leader. And so, Lord, we thank you for being our king. Open up your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So now we come to the second part of this gospel of Mark. Thus far, Mark has revealed that Jesus is the one who is a servant who rules, that he has authority. The first part of Mark's gospel is he wants to focus his reader on, would you look at the authority that this man Jesus has? Would you look at it? Look at time and time and time and time again over demons, over the religious elite, over people around him. He is the one who has authority. But in the second half, after Mark reveals to his reader that Jesus is indeed the Messiah, he begins speaking of the quality of authority that Jesus brings, the type of authority that Jesus brings. And he sets it up against that of the ways of the world. And that Jesus is indeed bringing an upside-down kingdom than what we're really used to. So that's what we're going to get into. Jesus, over and over and over, is trying to ingrain in his disciples that the way this world operates is not the way heaven does. And you, me as me as his son, I'm here to train you how to reflect the value system of heaven on earth. That's actually part of the prayer. Got it. Jesus, how do we pray? Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so God has to raise up some ambassadors that will represent operating in a different kingdom. And Mark's revealing now how Jesus exercises his authority. He doesn't come to be served, but he comes to serve. Soon after the transfiguration, the disciples are bickering privately as to who is the greatest of all the disciples. Man, what a conversation. They have this quite a few times. But uh, to this, Jesus replies this, Mark 9. He sat down and called the 12, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all, servant of all. Hold up, fellas. Jesus is saying, gather them together. God does not think like you do. And I'm here to train you how God thinks. And so Jesus does not despise the desire to be first, but his definition of greatness stands against our culture's ordering of priorities and radically changes a fundamental assumption as to about what true success is. The world has a definition of what success is. God has a radically definition of what success is. And so both the authority and the abundant life that God gives comes by being a servant to others. In God's economy, serving others is greater than the pomp and honor before others. Serving others is the way to true greatness in the kingdom of God. And that is what Jesus is trying to get through their thick skulls. And he's going to say it over and over and over again. And I kind of like resonate with that because I, I, I'm a man with like little hard heart, little stubborn head. And we need God to just constantly remind us, constantly remind us to serve. If you want to be great, if you want to be first, that's awesome, but serve. And I don't know about who originally said this, but I saw this quote. I thought it was good. The spirit of service 
is the passport to prominence in the kingdom of God. For it is the spirit of the master who himself became a servant of all. It's sacrificing our time, our energy, our selfishness. Can we sacrifice our selfishness? Please, God, let us. In order to tangibly serve, it's what God values essential in those that claim his name. Serving, laying down your life for others. Right after this, Jesus uses a little uses this as a little example. Verse 36, And he took a child, and he put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. It's curious that he's speaking of serving, and then he turns around and grabs a child. Now, it's very hard for us to try to envision how Roman culture viewed, Roman pagan culture viewed children. It's very hard for us. Children in their mind had no soul until they could walk or talk. Many times they wouldn't even receive names until such time. They've not yet accomplished anything or achieved anything. They have no power or honor, but they're weak, they're dependent, and they're ignored. Jesus corrects this by teaching them the upside-down value system of heaven. Don't overlook the least of you, because they too are made in my image, just like you. Your value is equal. You don't have greater value than children. That's the value of heaven. Jesus goes on, Mark 9.42 says, whoever causes one of these little ones to who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. It's a very vivid picture that Jesus gives that how God values children. If you make one of these little ones stumble, it would be better if you just ended yourself. That's how much God values children. Powerful warning. It reveals his heart, the innocence that gets robbed from children. God knows that trauma in a little one, both physical and spiritual, will not only wound them, but he knows later on they're going to have to be healed of it. And so Jesus is saying the value of heaven is you need to protect these children. These children are more valuable to me than you know. And no matter what your society around you, how they value them, if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to value children the way God does. A little while later, Mark 10, seems like he keeps going on this, and they were bringing children to him. So much, it's, it's, these three chapters out of the transfiguration, there's so many children. Anyway, it's what, it's what stuck out to me, so that's what we're going to focus on. They were bringing children to him, and he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. (laughs) Still haven't learned that lesson yet. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, a.k.a. pissed, and said to them, let the children come to me. Don't hinder them, for such belong the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child 
shall not enter it. Ooh. The disciples were acting like bodyguards, keeping these kids at a distance. To the disciples, the children were just a bother. More, just one more interruption in an already busy day. But Jesus, not for Jesus. Becoming like a child, not of the intellect, but of the heart. Becoming like a child. Think about the trusting heart of a child that has loving and faithful parents. Just imagine the heart posture or just the look on a child's face when there's this childlike trust in a loving and faithful set of parents. For it is that trust, it's the same kind of childlike trust God desires from us. For it is our trust, like that of a child, that brings us into the kingdom of God before our Heavenly Father. That trust and faith in Christ, in fact, is the only thing that will bring you before the Father and in His family, this upside-down kingdom. Right after this, Jesus says this, that you must become like a child. Mark shares the story of a young man who has many means, very wealthy, and he comes up to Jesus because There seems to be like the words of life just coming out of him. And this young, rich man comes up and he says, I want to follow you. And Jesus, seeing or discerning kind of the idol of this man's heart, which is wealth, he's like, you've got to lay it all down. Go sell all you have and then you can come. You have to lay down the idol, the thing that you think is going to give you the security, the provision, the life, happiness, That has got to get laid down because until you do, you will never, you you will always, when, when the rubber meets the road, when crisis hits, you will always lean to that rather than towards the Lord. And the Lord's like, I can't have a dual relationship with other gods in your heart. He says, you got to become like a child. But this rich young man walks away downcast. That cost was too much for him. This upside-down kingdom didn't make sense because to him, having wealth is the way you move forward in this world. Jesus goes on, and he kind of comments about this guy. Verse 24, he says, that's amazed him. This amazed them. This guy walking away, wouldn't trade it. But Jesus again said, dear children, he addresses his audience as children. It's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. That's good. Okay. What's that mean? Jesus. A little more ambiguous there. And then Peter, speaking up, is like, hey, we've given up everything to follow you. Like, I don't know. Like the Peter, Peter's like, hey, at least we've given up. And I don't know if it was kind of like, hey, we're at least we're in. We we gave it up. I don't know if there's kind of like, hey, what's in it for us kind of attitude a little bit, but 
It just seems a little out of, out of sorts. Peter's like, man, we've given up everything. Jesus said, yes. <laughs> and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sister or mother or fathers or children or property for my sake and for the good news, check this, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with it comes persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But those who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. God's upside-down kingdom on full display. The 12 were thrown into consternation like, what manner of kingdom is this which men must become children to enter and which men of affluence can scarcely enter at all. This obvious point of this hyperbole of the camel going through the eye of a needle. I've heard some pastors say, well, there was a camel gate that was really small around the wall of Jerusalem, and the camel had to get down on his knees and kind of slide through. And I, No, I don't think it has anything to do with the camel gate. I think that it's it's, a, it's hyperbole. There's no possible way a camel can go through an eye of a needle. Possible. No matter how hard you try. It's physically impossible. And that's the obvious point. It's not that salvation is difficult. Rather, it's humanly impossible for anyone by any means at any time, including the wealthy. But what this pro wild promise from Jesus here, whatever you give up, God will pour back on you. In his way, big caveat, in his way, in this life and in the life to come. God, open up our eyes more and more to the gloriousness of this promise. But even though you might get back these blessings in life, Jesus cabooses this teaching with an upside-down statement. Those who seem least now, don't be fooled. They'll be great in my kingdom. Jesus goes on, Mark 10, 42. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lorded over their people. The officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to, serve, to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, in touching on how the Gentiles rule, he's touching a sensitive, tender spot on men who have been ground under the boot of Rome. This phrase, lord it over, the Gentiles, they rule, they, they lord it over others. It means to have dominion over with kind of a domineering spirit. It's a tyrannical type power by means of exploiting those underneath them. Uh, we probably don't have too many examples here today, like giving mandates that they themselves don't follow, or climate change activists that fly around on private jets. The tyrannical worldly power will always try to enforce it on others while they themselves won't live by it. However, God's proper authority with it brings order, freedom, and flourishing. 
Human authority usually brings with it threats, coercion, manipulation, control. We aren't very familiar with those tactics in our world. But, you know, at other times, no. There's nothing new under the sun. But when God gets on the scene, he takes that chaos and he brings order. He takes the wounds and he brings healing. He takes the sin and evil, brings conviction and repentance, and brings with it transformation. That's part of our job as children of light is that we get to push back darkness in Jesus' name. For God's people, the way up is down. That's demonstrated by Jesus himself. He doesn't discourage greatness or ambition, but he defines true greatness as service and humility. And then we find this key verse in Mark 10, 45, that said, you know, I didn't come to be served. I mean, he's God himself. You'd think that he, of all people, he'd be the one that we serve him. But no, he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This upside-down kingdom. And so, I think I left my last page with Courtney. Where's my last page? <laughs> Thanks. I was looking for that. There's a little lesson. <laughs> the kingdom of God that you need is usually hidden in the lives of others around you. Anyway. Whoa. I had my coffee this morning, everybody. All right? Does that surprise you? No, just kidding. All right. But Jesus, again and again, is trying to train and equip these disciples with the ways of God and the culture of his kingdom. So they live it out like he does. And so what about us? I just want to process what we just kind of went through just a little bit before the Lord. And just so I have a couple lines of questions to maybe interact with the Lord on, but just kind of in the spirit of prayer, just before the Lord, um, let's just kind of go in, into some prayer, and I'll, I'll ask these questions, and you can interact with Jesus with them. Uh, so, Lord God, thank you for your word. And, uh, Lord, we pray that, Lord, you'd be here with us and that, God, you'd speak to our heart as we ask these questions before you, God. So the first question is, God, do, do I have a childlike heart before you? God, do I have a childlike heart before you? Do I trust you like that of a trusting child? Some say, yeah, I do. But if it's no question is, what's holding you back from trusting God with all that you have? The only way through is to trust Him with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Whatever you're not entrusting into His hands, pray that you would right now just place that into His hands, into the one that made you, into the one that knows you. To the one that loves you like a precious father. So, Father, if there's these things that are 
in the way of our trust with you. God, we pray that you would take them and that you would send them into the abyss. Father, that you would restore our heart. God, that you would give us your spirit and fill us with your spirit. Those places where we haven't trusted you or maybe we've trusted another person or another thing or a feeling that we wanted to have one day, Father, I pray that, Lord, as you take those, God, you'd replace them with your abundant life, with your authority, with your, with your ways, God. And another little set of questions, a little bit different. Are you living in such a way that actively loves people? Are you living in such a way that actively loves people through your affection, encouragement, service? Or are you holding back? If so, who from? God, your love, your love can cover a multitude of sins. Father, I pray that in our trusting relationship with you, God, I pray that as how you love us, that you would enable us to love people in that same way. God, as you've taken us in all of our mess and spoke to us and helped us, encouraged us and cleaned us up, Father, I pray that that same spirit of love and of service, God, would be embodied in your men and women here. Father, in a time that desperately needs your love put on display, your true love, not religious love, not a caricature of you, but God, your authentic, real love shining through us to others. Father, I pray that you would help us love people better. Father, stir our hearts to give our affection, our encouragement, and our service to those around us. God, what are we holding back? What are we trying to protect? Father, there's maybe some in this room here that needs healing in this area. They've been hurt by relationships. They've been hurt by difficult people. And I, Father, I pray that you would heal those wounds by adding to them healthy relationships, good relationships, heavenly relationships. So, Father, I pray that we would leave here with a childlike heart and, Father, a conviction to love those around us as radically as you love us. Father, help us in this. Grab our imagination. Stir our imagination. Because, God, all of us are wired differently, different talents, gifts. God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to look different through everyone. But God, through your manifest wisdom, it's going to reveal you. So Lord God, thank you for your word and thank you for your upside down kingdom. Thank you for bringing us into that kingdom. Father, we pray for your abundant life and your authority as we leave here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. 
For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org. And we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.